0: First Peter is where we're going to be. So if you've got a Bible, First Peter. Uh, if, if you have no idea where that is or who Peter is or whatever, that's okay. Just turn all the way to the back of your Bible. Uh, go all the way to the back and then start turning left a little bit uh, and you'll get to First Peter. It's it's one of the letters of the New Testament uh, and so you want to catch that. If, if you got a phone, you can turn to your YouVersion app. Uh, it'll be on there. The notes included as well if you go into live events. Uh, we'd love for you to be in First Peter uh, this morning. So on, on Jesus' phone, final week of ministry on this earth, uh, something something kind of interesting happened. His disciples were on their way to what we call the Last Supper, uh, where they were going to celebrate Passover together uh, as as a group of disciples. Jesus was leading his group, and, um, and, and they began having a conversation about their placement in the kingdom of God, and they began saying, well, I think that I'm going to be greater than you because of various and a sundry different things. Now they all knew that Jesus was the greatest; that there was there was no contest for first chair. They were really kind of wondering who was going to sit in the second seat, uh, who was going to sit second, third, fourth. Who is going to? Who, how, what was the pecking order of what was going to go on when we get to the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus is hearing this conversation, and this is not biblical, but I'm just kind of putting this in there. I'm just thinking, like, what is he thinking? At that moment, he's thinking, man, I've been with y'all for three years and you really don't get it. Like, you really don't understand what I've been trying to teach you. This is my last week and you still don't get it. It's been three years. I mean, I've done that with my kids. Parents, have you done that? It's been three years. Why don't you get this? Why don't you understand? I can just hear Jesus's monologue in his godly head. Why can't you guys get this? Because so then he gets into the room, and they're, they they enter into this room where they're going to celebrate Passover together, and they're they they're dirty, and they're kind of their feet are their sand they got sandals on, and the way that it worked back then is that the table was only like a few inches off the floor. I mean, we're talking the table is probably twelve or 18 inches off the floor, and you would sit on the ground and you would kind of recline and put your feet outward away from the table. So you didn't have a normal chair. So you were literally sitting next to someone else's feet. That's how it worked. And so what would normally happen when you go into an important meal like that is there would be someone at the door who would wash everyone's feet as they came in so that while you're eating you don't have somebody's dirty, stinky, nasty feet, tongo, tongue, tongue-nail fungus feet right next to you while you're trying to eat the Passover feast, okay? But in this circumstance, providentially, or maybe Jesus planned it this way, there was no servant, there was nobody there to wash the disciples' feet. And so he decided that he was going to do that. In order to teach the disciples' one final lesson during his final week of ministry, Jesus takes off his outer robe, he goes and gets the basin full of water, and one by one washes the disciples' feet. And this would have been a momentous occasion where all of them were confused. They had all decided that this was the Messiah. This was God in the flesh. This was the most important human being that has ever lived. They had decided that in their heart and in their mind. And this God that they worship was washing their feet. And Peter, in particular, wanted none of it. And he said, no, no, no. I know your place. You are the greatest. You are the best person in the room. In fact, you're the best person in the universe. You have no business washing my feet. I should be washing your feet. Not the way that you're doing it right now. And so, obviously... Jesus teaches them a lesson. While they're having this conversation about who's going to be greatest, he says, you know what? The greatest will become the least. And that's how my kingdom works. You know, we do this, and I think we can sympathize with the disciples. Because I think all of us, at least to some level, we understand that there is a greater supreme being in the universe. That whether we worship him as God or not, There is something greater than ourselves that most likely most of us, at least in this room, have enough humility inside of us to know that we're probably not the greatest at whatever it is that we do. I know that I'm not the greatest dad. I know that I'm not the greatest pastor. I'm certainly not the greatest person in this room. And you probably know that too. You can look around and say, there's probably people who are smarter, better looking, more accomplished, more successful than I am, or more spiritual or whatever you want to say that you can look around the room and say, I am not the greatest in this room. If you have a little slice of humility. Now we do enjoy stories of people who are the greatest. and that's a giant sports conversation, right? It's all of the time on sports radio. If you listen to sports radio, that's all they ever talk about is the GOAT, the greatest of all time, right? That's all they ever talk about. And it's a debate as to who's the greatest. But most of us don't think that we are. And that's a good thing. However, all of us don't think that we're the least either. Most of us understand we're not the greatest. But none of us think we're the least, and that's a problem in the kingdom of God, because all of us need to know that Jesus had told us there's something that we need to think about about becoming lower. Because all of us, what we're ha- what's happening is we have the same conversation as the disciples have about the pecking order. Not about who the greatest is, we know that. But who's the second, who's the third, who's the fourth? In all of our social standing, we're looking in the room and they are thinking, well, I might not be as successful as that guy, but I'm no no—I'm in the mushy middle somewhere. I'm in the contented middle. I'm not the least, I'm not the worst. But I'm right there in the middle. Now, the calling of Christ is slightly different than that. You don't have to turn here, but I'm going to read you some scripture verses, okay? Look up on the screen and follow along. This is Jesus speaking in Mark chapter 10. It says, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. You know what the Greek term there is? All. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, John twelve twenty six. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will be a, a, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will then honor him. First Corinthians four one through two says this. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. Philippians two. This is a great scripture verse verse uh, verse five and eight. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Jesus exemplifies this lifestyle for us. You guys have seen, uh, so the former first lady is in the news a lot because she's written a book. She did this famous speech before she left, uh, before her and her husband left the office. Uh, and, uh, and and famous speech, and most of you guys know the famous line from it. She said, when they go low, we go, what's it say? Hi, uh, you guys don't watch the news. Apparently not. When they go low, they we go high. That's what she said. Made the news everywhere. Well, of course, contextually, she's talking about political mudslinging. I, I get that. Like, she's talking about trying to have civil and honorable conversation in the world of politics. Good luck with that. Um, so she's—that's she, what she was talking about. But I can't—I can't help her, like be reminded of that statement about the tension that we have about that contented middle, that mushy middle, that all of us are trying to figure out where we are in the middle. We know we're not the greatest. We certainly don't want to be the least. But where we are in the middle. Because we're not comfortable with the idea of being the lowliest in the room. There's certain things that are indeed below us. There's certain things that we will not do because of our success in life or where we are in life. We're just certainly not going to do all of those things and stoop to certain levels because I have better intelligence. I'm certainly not going to pick up the trash or I'm not going to take care of this diaper or whatever it is. I'm just not going to do that. But the call of the Christian is that when everyone is going low, we go even lower. And we go to the least. We go to the lowliest place because that is where Jesus serves. So what does that look like? So 1 Peter, you guys are there, hopefully. First Peter, take a look at your Bible. What does that mean? And what does that look like? In? Let's read this passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. That's where we're gonna read. Chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. And in verse 7, so 1 Peter 4, 7 says this. as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong the glory and the dominion forever. Amen. Now here's 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 for your note-taking sake. Okay, here's what I've got. Three things that I believe this passage talks about. As we, in order for us to become the lowliest, in order for when everyone else is kind of going low and they're in the mushy middle, how is it that we fulfill this call as Christians to go even lower, to be the lowest? What does that mean, and how do we do it? What are we, what are the things that we need to understand to be able to do it? Number one, here it is: the servant understands the supremacy of God. Now, I'm going to go a little backwards. I'm going to go to verse 11, and then I'm going to go backwards through the text. I know that's a little bit confusing, but I think it's important, okay? Uh, So so we're going to look at verse 11 real quick, but the the servant understands the supremacy of God. Now, in verse 11, I'm going to read it again. Here it is. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, get this, in order that in everything, God, not the servant, Not the person serving. In order that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And get this, this is talking about, hey, you need to serve. You need to do everything without grumbling so that God would get the glory. And to Him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That we need to understand as servants of the living God that we have that God is supreme, that He is sovereign over everything. And it's more than we think. I told you that all of us kind of have a general understanding that God is bigger than we are, but I don't think we truly get it. Here's just some things about God. God is elevated above all things and all creatures. There is no one and no other no there is no thing that is greater than God alone he is Most High, Sovereign Lord of the Universe. Nothing happens without Him already knowing about it in the future. Everything is according to His plans. God is not surprised by anything. He is subject to no one. He is influenced by no one. And He is solely independent, wholly other. He does as He pleases, when He pleases, and no one can hinder Him from accomplishing what He wants to happen. God is supreme above all things. Daniel 4 says this, For His dominion and is everlasting dominion, and His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and He does according to His will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? There's not anyone who can even question what He does. He is so supreme. Psalm 135 says this, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is God is above all gods, whatever the Lord pleases He does, in heaven and on earth, in the seas and on the earth, in the seas and all the depths. He it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth and makes lightnings for the rain and brings forth the wind from His own storehouses. Paul says this in one of the greatest passages in Romans chapter 11 after he gets done talking about the glorious theology that is God, understanding of God, probably the deepest passage of Scripture in your, in your Holy Bible, Romans 9-11, through 11, he says this at the very end, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments, and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been His counselor, or who has given a gift to Him, that He might be repaid for, uh, for from Him, and through Him, and in Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. God is supreme over all things. And it's much bigger than we think. It's much grander than we think. The greater that we understand God's supremacy over all things, the more we will lower ourselves to a proper place of servanthood. And this is our good and natural place and attitude. And and this isn't bad. In fact, this is done for our good. He is supreme and sovereign because He is. He is good because He is supreme and sovereign. His plan is best. His works are best. And they work out for our good. And the more that we recognize His rightful place on the throne, the better our life will be. And here's the interesting part about that passage in John chapter 13 where He's washing the disciples' feet. Even though God is, and always has been, and always will be on his throne. And that's where he rules and reigns the universe. Where he works is in the lowliest places. And so that's where he calls us to be. We cannot be on his throne with him. He alone can ascend the throne. He alone controls the universe. But he calls us to be with him as he is working in the lowliest places. And this is specifically why Jesus famously said in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. God is functioning in the lowliest places. That is we where we will find God himself working. And this is, is at the heart of the gospel. This is at the heart of the reconciliation story, that the God of the universe, Most High, sends his Son, who is and always has been King of Heaven, and sends his Son down to be among us, the sinful among us, He sends his son down to be here with us. And although he is deserving of praise, he gets a cross. And although he is deserving of majesty, he is crucified. And although he is deserving of worship, he is lifted up to die. And when we truly understand the supremacy and glory of who Jesus is, we will understand more deeply how far he came to rescue us and in order to be our suffering servant, and God calls us to be right there with him. So we understand the supremacy of God. Number two, that we might understand the giftedness of others. That we might understand the giftedness of others. Verse 10 says this, As each, this is uh, First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's, buried grace. Now here's the fun part, that we are all specifically wired for God's kingdom, that he created us and molded us together and each of us has been given a gift. That not one of us, here's the fun part, not one of us has everything. Not one of us has all the gifts. The only person that had all of the gifts is Jesus himself. We desperately need one another. We are holy incomplete as a church unless we are Together, serving one another and, and, and looking around the room and saying, you know what? I am not the best. I might be the best at this one wiring that God has gifted me in, but I'm not the best at everything else. God has wired other people inside of our faith family to be better at me than me, than a lot of different things, and I need them. And so that's why we have to submit to one another. The Bible says over and over again that we should submit to one another, that we should serve one another, that we come underneath other people's leadership, no matter who we are and how gifted we are. Ephesians chapter 4 says this, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. These are not pastoral gifts. These are the gifts of the church. There's five of them. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, that this room is filled with all five, five of those. It's an entire church put together, and we need each other, and we need to learn from one another and understand each other's giftings. A couple years ago, while we were at the school, I had a Sunday where I wasn't preaching, and so I decided to go and just kind of observe what was happening in our children's area. And I went into one of the teaching areas, and we had, there was a, a mom and her 15-year-old daughter uh, that were that were teaching that day. Mom was teaching and 15-year-olds kind of helping and assisting. And I loved it because I just got to sit back in the room and watch. And my, it was my daughter's class and so I was kind of wondering what they were teaching making sure that everything is up to par and uh, wondering what's going on. And while they're teaching, now it's this, you know, we try to combine what's happening on the stage with what's, with what your te- your kids are learning. So uh, it was th- that week we, we were teaching that whatever was happening on the stage is exactly what was happening backstage with the kids area. And so I kind of knew the teaching. I knew what was going on, knew the passage of scripture pretty well. Uh, and, uh, and so we, I was back there just listening. And this 15-year-old teenage girl She came out with this truth that God had taught her that I had never thought about. She obviously has been gifted with some amount of truth or teaching ability, and she conveyed it so well. It was the one thing that my daughter remembered for the day, and I had never thought about it. It never occurred to me in my study of the Scripture, and I've studied that Scripture a hundred times, it never occurred to me that that truth was important. And it moved me. It was an awesome. I I told her, I was like, that's a great truth. Thank you for sharing that with my children. couple days later, I was in a counseling session in my office with somebody from our church that just kind of needed some help. And providentially, that same subject came up, and I totally stole that truth that that girl said. (laughs) And I used it as my own, like, you know, the Lord taught me this week. But I needed that young lady. And she used her gifting to bless me And then I got got it, that truth that God had taught her, that God had taught me, that I got to teach somebody else. And I might be the pastor of this church, but a 15-year-old girl taught me that week. We all need one another. And we need each other's giftings. Last one, number three. The servant understands the counterintuitive benefits of serving. The counterintuitive benefits of serving. Now, verses 7 through 9... When I read this and I've read it several times this week, when I first heard it, I'm like, Man, that's just Peter, you're still random. Like there's just just random verses that don't really connect a whole lot, and I just kept on studying and kept on studying, and I think that I've figured it out. Okay. So I, there's these three verses, and I, they're so they're a little bit crazy. They don't make any sense when you really get into them. But I think what he's trying to say is that there is benefit. There is this counterintuitive, otherworldly benefit. Let's just take it one by one. Verse 7 says this. Go ahead and throw it on the screen for me. The end of all things is at hand. That's a neat way of saying the world is ending. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Does that make any sense? The world is ending! Chill. That's what he's saying. Everything is coming to a close, and the apocalypse is coming, and the world is ending, you just need to be chill. Isn't that counterintuitive? Verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. That's beautiful. We could put it on a coffee mug, but here's what's happening. When people get around one another, they sin. They do things wrong. And so Peter's simple command here is, Even though you're going to keep on sinning, you need to keep on loving one another. That's not the way our world works. Our world works this way. You hurt me, I hate you. End of relationship. The way that Peter is saying it is, you keep on loving one another because that love is going to cover over your multitude of sins. It's counterintuitive. Verse 9. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, hospitality, let me just show you, it's not HGTV Joanna Gaines hospitality, okay? That's not what we're talking about, okay? Hospitality is when you're serving people generously that you don't know. Christian fellowship is serving people who are believers and bringing them into your home for dinner and having a good time with friends. Hospitality is I don't know you, you're a stranger, and I'm going to be generous towards you, bring you into my home, and be generous towards you, and help you, and be hospitable to you. That's what hospitality means. Now, each of us—that's good. That sounds really good. I can have somebody over for dinner, but, but how how long are they staying exactly? I mean, we're we talking like days here. We talking how how long are we to be generous? Because I I gotta have time. I gotta have Charlie time. I I got got bills to pay and how how does that work? Grumble 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 grumble. But Peter's saying, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we truly think about that, that's hard. It's in the news now. All these refugees are coming into my country. Grumble, 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 grumble. That's political. I'll get off of that. Okay, here we go. Mark 8, 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. that makes no sense unless you live in the kingdom of God. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will, for my sake will... Save it. What he's saying is that they're in the kingdom of God. There is counterintuitive benefits that the world does not understand. When we keep on sinning against one another, we keep on loving each other. When, when we have people that desperately need and they cannot give anything back to us, that means that we're going to keep on giving and keep on being generous. Being a servant of God means giving our lives away and not getting anything in return. That The more that we try to save for ourselves and be greedy for ourselves, the longer we will spend in death. But the more that we give ourselves away and continue to serve other people and serve what God has for us, the more that we will live. It is a completely upside down and counterintuitive kingdom of God. When the world is losing its mind, we are self-controlled. When the world says, no, you need to hate, we are the people who love. When the world says, no, you need to be a little bit greedy and take something for yourself, we need to open our homes to strangers. So two questions that are really practical that I want to answer, okay? What does this mean for us specifically? All right. So just real practical here. What does this mean on an everyday basis? What does this mean on an everyday basis? How do I put this in place on an everyday basis? I think one of the simplest things that you can do is part of your quiet time, whether you need to write it on your Bible or whatever, is pray this simple prayer, God, help me serve someone else today. Will you give me an opportunity? To serve someone else without reward today. And here's a little warning. He will answer that with a yes. You wonder if God answers prayer. You pray you pray that one and he will answer it. Now the question comes when that opportunity comes and you hear that little knocking of the Holy Spirit on your heart and this, this is what you prayed for. Okay, right? So pray that prayer on a regular basis. We need to understand this. That busy people don't serve anybody. Busy people don't serve anybody. It's really hard to serve when all you're doing is the things that you want to do. That you rarely have time for anybody or anybody else's needs. You notice that Jesus has never hurried and never busy. If I was one of his disciples, I'd get really frustrated because Jesus moved like a sloth. All right, I hear that your son is dying. Let me go over here for three days. Jesus was very unhurried and very unbusy. And so it gave him the ability to serve people all of the time. And here's the last one. Strive strive for, uh, to be rewardless on earth. Strive to be rewardless on earth. Our treasure is in heaven. It is totally okay if the only person that sees that you're serving anybody is God and God alone, that you don't get a thank you, that you don't get a pat on the back, that you don't get a Facebook post. Nothing but God and God alone. So how does this work out? Second question, how does this work out in the church? How does this work out here on Sunday mornings? We need to understand as servants of the church that what we do here on Sunday morning has extreme eternal value. Our goal in this place on Sunday morning, what we are doing right now, is that we are trying to preach and teach the gospel of Jesus clearly, and everything about this place, from the from the parking lot to everything that you hold in your hands, to what, how we check in kids, has been thought out. That systems have been put in place, to the comfort of your chairs, to everything has been thought out, so that we produce an environment that is that that is practical and clear picture of how we can communicate the gospel. Everything we do on Sunday morning. So we have teams of people, hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people that serve on teams to make that happen. And whether you are the person who serves coffee in the morning, or whether you're the worship leader on the stage, or the guy with an earpiece keeping everything secure, it doesn't matter, you are playing a clear and present role in helping people to hear the gospel clearly. Every piece of that is important. So that, so that parents can listen in a quiet environment while their children learn and be discipled backstage. All of that is important to holding babies. Everything is important to Sunday nights with students. All of that is important. Everybody plays a major role. And all of it is so that every man, woman, and child would have an opportunity here on Sunday morning to hear and respond the, to the gospel. And when we understand the supremacy of God and our role in the world and each other's giftings and how the how the gospel can change our life that while we're serving and while we're giving up our life that actually we're 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 actually saving our life by serving, what I don't get is the emails of I need to take a break. And I hate to tell you that. Because our Sunday mornings are not an opportunity for rest. It is not Sabbath day. Sabbath has always been historically Saturday. There's always a day of rest. Sundays are the Lord's day, where we give up of ourselves in corporate ministry. There are 744 hours in a month. 744. The church asks, for two to four hours per month, that is one half of 1% of your month. If your life is so busy that you can't serve your church, please check your soul. And I say that because I love you. Now, if you're not serving at all, if you're new, if you're new or, or just not certain, you haven't really gotten into a place of service, Let me just encourage you. Be a part of the team. It's much better to be on the field than on the sidelines. And so let me just have you own it. I would love for you to be here and being on a team. And uh, Where's where's Will? Shake your hands in the air. Just right over there. He will gladly uh, get you on a team and help you understand what the teams are available. And uh, you can go over to the next steps table. Where's Heather? Is Heather in here? She's probably serving somewhere else back in kids, but her her and Darren will be back at the Next Steps table uh, at the end. We'd love for you uh, to talk to them about the different teams and possibilities, ways that you can serve. So this is the last habit. Uh, This is the last. uh, This is the tenth habit. We've gone through a fantastic opportunity where we've known about grace. I've enjoyed seeing uh, and talking to some of you who have worked through our 10 Habits Guide and walked through the scripture and memorized scripture and done all sorts of just really cool stuff in your house with your kids and your family. Um, And what this does is it gets us away from this kind of consumer driven idea of christianity so that we might uh, might think to ourselves how in the world can we not be fed by somebody else but how can we begin to just have a relationship with god in which we're feeding ourselves and and this habit in particular helps us to understand that it's not just about us that our habits actually uh, help other people and encourage other people spiritually and so as we serve others we ourselves are actually walking closer with the Lord. Now, um, so we start our Christmas series called Carols in two weeks from today, uh, But we, ha- so we have one extra week, and so um, get this, we're actually going to have a bonus habit next week, okay? And I'm going to leave it mysterious for you, okay? Uh, so I, we, I can't call it the 11th habit because then that would just ruin my graphics, and so um, so it's, it's just a bonus, okay? So I'm excited about the opportunity uh, for you guys to join us uh, next week as we talk about uh, the bonus habit, but here's the deal. Since it's kind of the close of the series, and uh, and just I've said a lot of things today. My hope is is that you'll just take a few moments, and the band's going to come up. And we're going to sing together one last worship song together, just kind of cementing in our minds all these truths that we've known. Uh, but I, my hope is that you just take a few minutes and say, Lord, how do you want me to serve? And it might be that prayer that I talked about just a second ago. How can I serve someone today? Give me an opportunity to go low where everybody else is trying to figure out the pecking order in the middle, how do I be the lowest person in the room to serve where no one else wants to serve, to do things no one else wants to do, so that I might die a little to myself, that I might save my life? Let's pray. God, I simply ask that we would be a church full of servants. Servants that understand your supremacy. Servants that understand how your sovereign plan has guided them into this place to... Guided them into this place to worship you today. And I'm I'm thankful for everyone that isn't hearing this sermon because they're busy teaching kids. I'm thankful for everyone who has been busy this morning getting ready to make sure that this environment helps people to hear the gospel and the blood of Jesus that is covered over their sins. God, I, I'm thankful for them. And God, I, I pray that we would continue to be uh, I, continue to be a church just filled with people who want to go low. Desire that when everybody else is wanting to be in the middle that we would go love. Jesus, we love you. If you want to take a moment? That's cool. We're gonna they're gonna sing a little bit, but if you want to take a moment, just in your seat, just have a moment with the Lord. That's good. And just pray and ask God, hey, how can you help? How can, I, how can I be a servant today? That'd be a good thing. And then, and then of course, when you're ready, you can start singing with us. Okay.